0: Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Kerrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center here in Austell, Georgia. Pay attention to this message. I believe God is going to say something to you that is going to bless your life, change your life, and empower you and equip you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Listen up, and we'll talk to you at the end of today's broadcast. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, rescued, bought back with corruptible things as silver and gold, So what you were redeemed by is much more valuable than silver and gold. From your vain conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers. But here's what you were redeemed by, bought back by, rescued by. The precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. But was manifest or revealed or made public in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God foreordained or picked and planned before the world began that Jesus would pay the price to rescue us from our sins and from the powers of darkness. See, that is good news in multiple reasons. The, our theology is great news, but also in our everyday life. You may think about things that you have screwed up, you have messed up, your sins and your mistakes have caused issues to come into your life. But just based on this verse alone, we know that God had already planned your comeback before you ever messed up. Before you ever destroyed anything in your life, before the world began, God already had a solution for your failure. God already had an answer for your problem. doesn't matter how bad you messed it up. Before you even got here, before your great-great-grandmother got here, God says, I already had an answer. I've already taken care of it for you. So when you run into a situation, even by your own creation, stop stressing about it. Go to the one who has an answer before the world began. Jesus. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So that goes against some people's theology. Say, oh, well, it was the Romans who killed them. It was the Jews who killed them. They're blamed for killing them. No. Jesus made a decision, I'm going to die before the world began. Amen. Jesus made a decision, I'm going to take the place in perfect agreement with the Father. So then you have to understand everything from God flows with that decision in mind. Knowing this, that this was in the foreknowledge and advanced planning of God, there is a scarlet thread that runs all throughout history. As we go through the series, we're going to begin to unravel it. There's a thread that goes through every book of the Bible, every covenant in the Bible. Because it all flows from God making a decision, yeah, they're going to mess up, but I'm going to take care of their mess up. Before they even screw up, I got it. So there is a thread that runs throughout all of history. See, God has a plan, and as we looked at in our Christmas series, there was a top secret elements of that plan that were hidden in him. Yet through history, God would reveal elements of his plan through covenants and dispensations. Say covenants, dispensations, covenants, dispensations. Dispensation. Covenants, covenants. dispensations. Now, the word covenant is used 298 times in the Word of God. Sounds kind of important, huh? You know, if God says it once, it's important. But 298 times, that might be a frequent theme with our Heavenly Father. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant signifies a mutual understanding between two or more parties, each binding himself to fulfill specified obligations. It's a legal contract, a binding agreement, a written agreement, It also refers to a solemn agreement to do or not to do a certain thing. I'll read through it one more time. A covenant signifies a mutual understanding between two or more parties, each binding himself to fulfill specified obligations. It's a legal contract. It's a binding agreement. It is a written agreement. It also refers to a solemn agreement to do or not to do a certain thing. One of the things you should note, that shedding of blood was the common denominator of various covenant ceremonies. Shedding of blood was the common denominator of various covenant ceremonies. Now, let me give you a definition for dispensation. A dispensation is a plan or method To reveal the mind and will of God. A plan or method to reveal the mind and will of God. It is a system of revealed promises regulating human affairs. It is a system of revealed promises regulating human affairs. Now, the Hebrew word for covenant is defined as a compact made by passing between pieces of flesh which implies the thought of cutting a covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant is defined as a compact, made by passing between pieces of flesh, which implies the thought of cutting a covenant. So now let's look at some of the covenants and dispensations through the Word of God. Remember, today I'm just laying the foundation for us. Because to really understand the gospel, we have to understand that the fourfold gospel sits squarely on the Pentateuch. It sits squarely in the first five books of the Bible. The first covenant in the Bible was the Edenic covenant, which was established in the dispensation of innocence, which is the shortest dispensation. This covenant reveals God's purpose in the creation of mankind. So go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's go back to the beginning. See, you know it's great to shout, but it's even better that when you shout, you know what you're shouting about. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish, or fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth Now, let's back up for a second, and let's look at the first words man ever heard. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them. Now, when you look at Genesis 1 in the creation story, in the recreation narrative, as we can look at it, he said, Well, why was there a recreation? There was a fall from Satan. There was destruction that went into the earth. I'm not going to get into it today. He said, Well, how long was it between the destruction of the first creation and the recreation in Genesis 1 3 and onward? The Bible doesn't say. It could be millions of years. It could be as many millions of years as scientists say it, that this earth is old. This earth is not 6,000 years old. This earth is much older than that. Mankind is a little bit over 6,000 years old. And so when you look at how, in Genesis 1, God's creation method, you know, we're all familiar with the phrase, let there be light, right? That's how the King James translated it. In the Hebrew, it's simpler than that. It's light be. Waters be. Earth be. Sky be. This is what God was commanding. And so when you get to where it says, and God blessed them, God either said, blessing be, or as we know it, be blessed. So the first words mankind ever heard was the blessing. God is the most intentional being in the universe. This lets you know the perfect will of God for all men for all time is the blessing of God. That is the first thing God said to them, and he hasn't changed his mind today. He says, be blessed blessed, then be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl, of it, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So now we'll go to chapter 2, verse 15. One of the things you see in Genesis chapter 1, you see a highlight of the first six and seven days of creation. Then you get into the middle of chapter 2 and you go back to day 6. And you see more details of what God did on day six. And here you see the Edenic covenant, man's first command. Verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, he's supposed to tend it, dress it. We know he's supposed to take care of the garden. But keep it means guard it. If God tells you you have to guard something... There's somebody who wants to take what you got. This is Adam's first hint. There is a serpent coming. There is a snake coming. There's somebody who wants what you got. The serpent did not care about the garden. He did not care about the fruit of the garden. He wanted the glory that was on man. He wanted the dominion that man had. Why? Satan, the serpent, used to have glory. He used to have authority. He was kicked out of heaven, and when he fell... The glory left him. But then after his fall, God creates this being that's higher than him, that has the same glory of God on him. And God gives him dominion over the entire planet. Adam was the God of this world. Well, pastor, that's a strong statement. How do you know that? 2 Corinthians 4.4. It calls Satan the God, lowercase g, of this world. How did he get that? Adam. When Adam sinned, he gave his authority over to the devil. So when God created man, he blessed them, gave him glory, gave him authority, and put them in charge of the whole earth. And he said, "Take care of this garden. Guard this garden, and of the tree of the garden you may freely eat. But the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you shall eat it, you shall surely die. So God says, enjoy everything. You can eat any tree of the garden. There's just one you cannot. Now, that doesn't mean he was not supposed to touch it. He said, well, Eve said he wasn't supposed to touch it. Yeah, Adam added to the commandment. God said, don't eat it. But God told Adam, you are to dress or take care of the garden. And garden, So if he's dressed to take care of the garden, he has to take care of that tree too, right? Because if he didn't dress it, then he's ignoring what God told him to do first. So he was supposed to harvest from that tree, but he was not supposed to eat of that tree. His harvest of that tree belonged to God. It sounds like the tithe, doesn't it? That's a portion of your work doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And so the first violation of covenant is also the violation of the tithe. He took what God told him not to touch and partook of it because it looked good. See, that extra 10% does look good. But the violation of it is costly. So go to chapter 3, verse 6. So this first Edenic covenant, it's the blessing, it's the glory, it's dominion, it's a good life. There was no lack at all. Adam didn't even have a concept of lack. See, there'll be people who prosper today, but they have a concept of not having enough. Adam had no concept of not having enough. There are people who are healthy today, but have the concept of being sick or in pain. Adam had no concept of sickness. What do you mean, catching a cold? What? what? What's that? What do you mean, my knees hurting? What? It was no concept. It was abundance, it was heaven on earth. It was the glory of God. It was the dominion of God. It was the perfect setup. But verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to desire to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat it, and gave it also to her husband with her, and he did eat it. So you can't follow the narrative. So Adam wasn't out the side of the garden. He got tricked. No, Adam was right there. They both were right there. So Adam didn't do the job of guarding his house. He let some serpent come up and talk to his woman. And he said nothing. Adam was going to dude, get out. And the end of the story had been done. We'd all been in the Eden today. But he did it. He didn't guard his house. And Eve didn't guard her thoughts. Because she looked at the fruit. She could have said, no, God said, no, I ain't going to look at this fruit. Get out of here. And the thing would have been done. She looked at the fruit. It looked good. It seemed appealing. So she partook it. So you got to be careful what you look at. Because everything that looks good ain't good for you. And everything that looks good is not always what it seems to be. That should help some single people out in here. Oh, they look good. Well, well even saying come as an angel of light. You have to be careful what you look at because you keep looking and looking and looking, you're going to desire it and you're going to act on that desire. You have to learn how to turn your focus and your attention. Because whatever you focus on will grow bigger in your eyes. So we see Adam and Eve violated God's command and thereby broke their covenant with God. God says, "In the day you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. So when they partook of that fruit, they died spiritually. Spiritual death is separation from God. When they sinned, they separated from God. The glory lifted off of them, and then you see they were naked. They knew they were naked. Why? The glory covering had lifted off of them. They were separated from God. They are now ashamed. They are now afraid, and now they're hiding. They had no concept of shame before. They had no concept of fear because they were in the glory of God. So they take off hiding and try to cover themselves in fig leaves. Do you know how itchy and uncomfortable that must have been? See, that's like when you try to cover yourself. With your own wisdom and your own plans, and stay away from God, you do your own thing, you end up in some itchy, uncomfortable situations. So they sinned. They're separated from God. The life force that was continually flowing into them has been disconnected. Now, they had received so much life force beforehand that it took Adam over 900 years to die. But when he sinned, he died spiritually. And it set up the process of this physical body will eventually die. I say sin, death entered into the earth because death came into the earth through sin. All the manifestation of death came into the earth. Remember, Adam was blessed to rule the entire earth. But when he sinned, the blessing on him became a curse. And when we read through Genesis 3, God says to Adam, cursed is the earth because of you. So we say, oh, God cursed the earth. No, he just said, Adam Cursed is the earth because of you. So who cursed the earth? Adam. By his sin, the blessing he was empowered with became a curse. And the whole world is cursed. And it says, now it will produce thorns and thistles, and now this earth will fight you as you try to survive. Instead of thriving off of the blessing of the glory and dominion, the earth will fight you, and you'll make your living by the sweat of your brow. He went from the blessed life to struggling. Because doesn't Proverbs 10 tell us the blessing of the Lord make, makes rich and adds no sorrow or no painful toil with it? So he was enjoying the rich, blessed life, but when he failed, now he's got to toil painfully. Now there is sorrow. As they violated the Edenic covenant, the blessing on Adam became the curse. Instead of the blessing flowing from him, Now the curse, which is the empowerment to fail, flows from him. But although things look bleak, because now Satan's got the authority. Now Satan's got the dominion. Now instead of Adam and Eve having a benevolent, loving God, they now have to bow the knee to Satan. And things look bleak. So at this point, a new covenant is cut in the earth. This covenant includes God's judgment on sin, but also the promise of a future redeemer. Remember, God already planned for a redeemer. So he begins to announce in chapter 3, verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Women do not have seed. So this is speaking to how a supernatural way the Messiah will come into the earth. It shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is also a speaking to the crucifixion, how Jesus healed, was bruised, how he was crucified. But it's also talking about the dominion the Messiah will walk in because he'll stomp all over the devil's head. Skip down to verse 21 of chapter 3. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So he says this fig leaf outfit is ridiculous. So, here's some new clothes that aren't going to chafe you like those leaves. But notice, in order for God to make these skin coats from animals, animals had to die. Blood was shed in the cutting of this next covenant. Now, why was blood shed? So that Adam and Eve could be covered. All the covenants in the Old Testament is for the purpose of covering up, covering sin. You'll see throughout this covenant as we go through these series that why do they have to cover up sin? Because God is so good and God is so holy. His glory as it is creative of good is as destructive of evil. Adam and Eve can't come into God's presence anymore because of sin. So there has to be some bloodshed to cover them up so they can come into God's presence. Think about parents that say you have a little kid, and somehow they hurt themselves. It is in your mindset to pick them up and bring them close to your chest, right? After Adam and Eve fell, if God did that, it would have destroyed them. They couldn't come into the full presence of a holy God. Sin, death, and the curse had changed the image. So now they're covered up because blood was shed. And now they can have a relationship with God. See, one of the things you have to understand that God cuts covenants in the earth so people can have a relationship with him. So the first sin marked the end of the dispensation of innocence and the beginning of the dispensation of conscience. Now, we call it the dispensation of conscience because man was free to obey the dictates of his own conscience without a revealed code of laws or commandments from God. So they could follow what was in their heart. There's no set law. There's no set commands. It's the dispensation of conscience. Say dispensation. Dispensation. Of conscience. conscience. So we see one of the first acts of this covenant was the shedding of blood. And so one of the things, as we watch here, more of God's plan is revealed. The scarlet thread gets pronounced more and more. So God is the God who makes covenants, blood seal covenants, for the purpose of establishing a right relationship with us, his children. Now, as you study dispensations, you clearly see man's part and man's failure. Every dispensation, man has a part. And man fails. And i not say, see, oh, I know men. No, no, women too. So let me make it clear in this day and age. Every single place, man and woman has a part. Every single dispensation, man and women fail. And as you study these dispensations, and you see the failure and the part of mankind. In the midst of the judgment of sin, you say, well, why sin has to be judged? The wages of sin is death. All sin will eventually produce some form of death in someone's life. In the midst of the judgment of sin, you'll see God's purpose and his provision. In the midst of the chaos caused by humanity, God continues to thread the scarlet thread to redeem all of mankind as began to be revealed in Genesis 3.15. So over the course of approximately the next 1,656 years, humanity spirals. From Cain committing the first murder to the world being filled with violence, the sin continues to mount, which calls for judgment. Remember, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Go to Genesis 6. Now, people would think, well, why would a holy, loving, compassionate God, merciful God, send a flood to destroy the earth? Yes, God is merciful, but He's also just. But look at this, 1,600 plus years later, there is one man left on the earth who is righteous. There's only one left. God waited until there was one to send judgment. Because the thing is, if this one, the earth is filled with violence, eventually they're going to try to kill this one dude. Or eventually this one dude will die. And as a result, the whole world will be filled with violence following Satan, and mankind will be trapped in sin forever. And the Redeemer of Genesis 3.15 can't show up. So judgment has to come sometimes to protect the righteous, to secure the righteous, because if judgment doesn't come, sin will keep overflowing, and they will destroy the people of God. So judgment had to come. God waited until the last possible moment. And when he told Noah to build the ark, Noah didn't build it in a day, in a year, in five years. It took him over 100 years to build the ark. And as he built the ark, he preached. The New Testament calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So not only did God wait till the last one was righteous, he used that man to preach, and for over a hundred years, the earth did not listen to him. The mercy of God. God said in the Old Testament, I don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I love it when men repent. This generation just refused to repent. So, Genesis 6. Verse 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, or how great, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I was not like, okay, they had some bad days and some good days. No, no more good days. No more good thoughts. No more benevolent thoughts. Wicked and twisted consistently, every imagination evil. So they're imagining how they can do more evil. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved man heart. It hurt God so bad what they were doing. The feelings like we all had the feelings, man, I wish I never made y'all. Wow. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. But Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, a perfect, or mature and upright in his generation. So in a time of moral decline, of moral chaos, Noah was righteous. Which means even if the culture is corrupt, you can still stand for God. And Noah walked with God. So not only was he righteous, he had a relationship with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So notice, it's not just what mankind is doing that is corrupt, or corrupted. The earth itself has now been corrupted under the weight of sin. Sin corrupts the earth. Sin can age the earth. So what does it look like when the earth is corrupted? The earth responds to corruption. How would it respond? Earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, different natural disasters happening. Why? It's really under the weight of sin. Paul even says today that the earth groans for its redemption. It groans for Jesus to come back to redeem it from this weight of sin that's on it. And so not only is the earth filled with violence of mankind being violent and murders. The earth is erupted in natural disasters. Judgment has to come. The overflowing sin of man corrupted the earth. So we know the story. Noah called the unclean animals two by two. The clean animals, he gathered seven of each and brought them on the ark. Now we all just say two by two because he knows the cute Sunday school story. But the the animals that he wasn't supposed to eat it was two by two, where the clean animals that he could eat and that can be sacrificed were by sevens. So he gathers them upon the ark. The rain pours down. No one believed Noah. They thought he was crazy. This old man saying it's going to rain. has never rained before. See, sometimes faith will make you look crazy until it begins to rain. And so... God shut the door of the ark. It rained for 40 days, 40 nights. It says, gushers opened from the earth. Water came from the bottom. Water came from the top. The whole earth was flooded. The windows of heaven, it says, was open. The earth was flooded. And it went at least 15 feet higher than the highest mountain. Do you mind if I take a side journey real quick? Remember how Malachi 3 says... If you're a tither, the windows of heaven are open, he pours out a blessing, there's not room enough to receive. That's the same phrase for windows of heaven as you see in Genesis 6, which means the blessing God pours out in your life can be higher than 15 feet higher than any problem that ever shows you up in your life. So you can take that. Now back to this. Y'all seem to like that part. So the flood waters go. But after 40 days, 40 nights doesn't mean that the water disappeared. It took days for the water to reside. Think about the whole earth is flooded. It's going to take some time for stuff to dry up. So they're on this boat for a long period of time. Eventually the ark shut, settles on a mountain, and the water keeps going down and down and down, and vegetation begins to grow again. And Genesis 8, verse 18, And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every fowl, and whatsoever creeps upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. And took of every clean beast, of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So if he's offering burnt offerings, blood is shed, right? And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, the cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And God, what? Blessed. Once again, you see God's determination to bless mankind. Noah and his sons, and said unto them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. Wait a minute, you know how there was a, a heresy and error preached for hundreds of years, saying that God cursed Ham? But Ham, one of those kids, God blessed him. So everything you heard about the curse of Ham is lie from hell, of twisted doctrine. You keep reading chapter 9, Ham was never cursed. Canaan was cursed. So people used the curse of Ham to preach. That's why black people should be enslaved. Black people did not come from Canaan. Africans did come from Ham, but not Canaan. So the thing is, before you watch some YouTube video and get confused and they twist your doctrine and make you leave Jesus, God never cursed the black man or the black woman. And you keep reading, God didn't even curse Canaan. Noah did. Read the Bible. Don't let people who don't know the Bible, who want to trick you and steal your money, tell you what the Bible says. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. So you keep reading as God reiterates their commands. You see here God tells them, this is what you're to do, this is what you're not to do. One of the things you see here, he says, you shall not murder. If someone murders someone, their life is to be taken. And he tells them, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the entire earth. So if to fill the entire earth, you can't stay in one spot. You have to go around the whole planet. And he sees verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, you and your sons. And he says, the token of this covenant, the Noahic covenant, the new covenant God is cutting in the earth. The token of the covenant is the rainbow. So every time you see the rainbow, you remember I'm a covenant-making God. Every time you see the rainbow, just know the earth will never be destroyed again by water. Now, the earth will be destroyed again in the future a long time from now, but it's going to be by fire, not by water. God said, I will never destroy the earth again by flood. So the rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant, that he's a covenant-making covenant-keeping God. So not only are there rainbows on earth, although they're beautiful to look at, it's a reminder, anytime you see it, my God is a covenant-making God. But also, when you read the book of Revelation, there's a rainbow that's around the throne of God. So not only does it have a token of the covenant on earth, there's a token of the covenant in heaven as well. So God cuts a new covenant with Noah. And he tells them and his descendants, fill the earth. Be blessed. Rebuild this earth. But as we said in every dispensation man has a part and man fails. So we get into the new dispensation with the Noahic covenant. This is the dispensation of human government. This human government was man govern himself with God's law. And God's law to Noah was to fill the entire earth and take authority on the earth and murder was strictly forbidden. That was all they had to do. Fill the earth. Go everywhere. Use your authority. Don't kill each other. That was it. That was what the human government for. The original human government was to make sure people don't kill anybody, and they spread through the whole earth. That was God's intention in this dispensation. Yep, but we know how to screw things up. So chapter 10, verse 8. And Cush, one of the descendants of Ham, begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Now, I was reading one commentary that says this guy's name may actually be Nimrod, or Nimrod may have been his title. Because the word Nimrod also means rebellion, or the one who rebels. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Not only was he powerful, that phrase mighty one can also be translated a tyrant. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. So much that he was a mighty hunter... They created a parable about him saying that he should be like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before God. This is what people said about him. This is what God said about him. This is what people said about him. So some people say, oh, yes, he was a great hunter of animals. Other commentaries said he was a hunter of people. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, the city of Babel or Babylon. And Eric and Echad, and Kelna and the land of Shinar. Then you keep reading even Nineveh. He created this kingdom in this area. He's a mighty one, a tyrant, and a leader of rebellion. Go to chapter 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass... As they journey from the east, they're supposed to journey, right? So it started off pretty good, at least decently. They found a plain in the land of Shinar. This is modern Iraq. And they dwelt there. They stopped. They didn't stop for a little while. Let's rest, catch our breath. Now let's just set up camp here. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick for stone and slime, have they for mortar, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mourner. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, God told them to fill the earth. Instead, they rebelled and decided to settle in one location and build a city and a tower. Now, why a tower? It's not like God is against skyscrapers. Why did they want to build a tower? Notice, it says it was to reach into heaven. So in their minds, it was to avoid another flood judgment. They know how high the waters reached. So look, guys, let's get together. Let's build a tower higher than the flood. But if we keep building, we can reach heaven where God resides, and we can declare war against him. So what is the Tower of Babel, it's not just a skyscraper. It's direct rebellion against what God said. It's to wage war against God, and it's to avert any judgment from their decisions. In essence, they were saying, let's do this so we don't have to do what God said. So they kept building, and building, and building, and building. And building. And I could I can hear the song they probably sang while they were building. So they built and built and went higher and higher for the dream that was in their heart to rebel against God. It was never high enough. It was never enough. And they kept building and building and building, united in their effort to rebel against God. So God came and took a look at the tower and says they're united. They'll keep building and staying here forever because they're in unity. And so it says that I will change their languages so that they may be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. The original plan of God wasn't for them to be scattered. He said to fill the earth. But they said we don't want to be scattered. So God said, well, you can have what you say. So it says God cursed Babel. Now, more accurately, what happened? He said Babel to the tower. The word Babel means confusion. So they kept building, singing, never enough, never enough, never enough. I can hold all the stars, all the gold, the towers of gold is not enough, never enough, never enough. Confusion. And all of a sudden, they start speaking all these different languages. And they pair off of the groups and speak the same language, and they disperse throughout the earth. See, at that moment, God didn't just curse a tower or a city or nickname a tower or city. He also cursed a system of living. He cursed the Babylonian system that is still at work today. What is the Babylonian system in summary? Meeting your own needs without God. Trying to do your own thing, live your own life, not caring what God has to say about it. And sometimes in direct rebellion to what you already know God says about it. All these isms that flow throughout different philosophies of man flow from the Babylonian system, saying, I'm going to do my own thing without God. You know, I was watching this documentary a number of years ago, and they they asked this practicing Satanist, what do you think was the most demonic song of the 20th century? And he didn't even blink. He said, Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way. He says, that is the message of our movement. Do what you want to do. That is the Babylonian system. And anybody who lives off the Babylonian system, philosophy of meeting your own needs without God, you can go high. You can keep going higher and higher. But eventually, you'll reach the cap of Babel, the cap of confusion, because that way of life is cursed. That's how you see people rise higher and higher, and all of a sudden they fall. Like what happened? Yesterday they were doing great, but now they are plummeting. They reached the cap. That system or that way of life is cursed. So now man spreads throughout the earth. And one of the things you watch as all of this is happening, even in the midst of man's failure, God is working for man. He works through Adam, gets it down through Noah. Then you see Shem is blessed in Genesis 9 and starts working through Shem. And this blessing is indicating that through Shem, the redeemer of Genesis 3.15 is going to show up. So time goes by. And a man named Abram is born, a descendant of Shem. Now, the thing is, when he's put all these timelines together, When Abraham was born, Noah is still alive. When Abraham was born, Shem is still alive. So it's not like the people on earth did not have a witness of what God actually said. The people God said it to were still here. So God appears to Abram. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curses thee, and you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Once again, we see God's desire to bless humanity in God's covenant and dealing with Abraham. A covenant is a bond that commits you to another. A covenant is a bond that commits you to another. God is telling Abraham, who's right now named Abram, I am committing myself to you. What am I committing myself to do to you? Bless you. So go to Genesis 15. And he said, well, why did God pick Abram who became Abraham? Well, God revealed in Genesis 18 verse 19 that he chose Abraham because he knew that he would teach his children after him. So from Adam to Noah, Shem to Abraham, God is dealing more specifically with a group of people to get the Messiah, the serpent crusher, Genesis 3:15, into the earth. And he picks Abram because he knows he'll keep teaching these things so that the plan of God can keep going until the Genesis 3:15 crusher shows up. So Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And then Abram said to God, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing and I go, child. I said, yeah, I'm blessed. Yeah, I got this money, but I don't have an heir. And as the conversation goes on, God says, Abram, step outside of your tent. Look at the stars. Can't he number them? No. So shall your seed be. Other place says, look at the sand. can he number that? No. So shall your seed be. And notice what happens in verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. One of the things you see that's primary about the covenant that God made with Abraham, it's not based off of really Abraham's obedience. Because Abraham definitely wasn't perfect. It was based on, will you believe? This is a covenant of promise. The Abrahamic covenant is based on, will you believe? And Abram believed God, and it was counted for him as righteousness. Righteousness. Because he believed. And so God cuts a covenant with Abram. So he tells Abram what animals to take, to split it in half. So once again, you see the shedding of blood. One of the covenant ceremonies, they would cut these animals in half and walk through it saying, So it be unto me if I don't keep my end of the covenant. So these animals, blood is shed again. Abram walks through these. And they get to verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. What happened? Not only did Abram walk through those pieces, but God himself came down and says, I'm cutting covenant. I'm walking through it with you. He's saying, i am committed myself to you. I've made a covenant. I cut through it. And some people even believe that when the smoking furnace came through, it was the manifestation of the glory of God, that Abram could see those footprints in that blood. So what's happening? The scarlet thread is being established even more. So God cut this covenant with Abram. Blood is shed again as God cuts the covenant with Abram. This marks the dispensation of promise. God deals with Abraham based on his belief in his promise. Now, one of the things about covenant, you have to understand this. In covenant, what one party is willing to do, the other party has to be willing to do. Covenant, you stop living for your own goals, and it's not two different people. Where covenant is concerned, one plus one equals one. So, Abram is to now live for God. And God is now to live for Abram. They're one where covenant's concerned. So, that's when you understand that, you can look at Genesis 22 with a different light. As I begin to close here. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. Before you we said, well, what is God tempted Abram? It means put to proof Abraham and said unto him, Abram, and he said, Behold, here am I. So this is, take now your son, pay attention to this language, your only son, Isaac. Remember, covenant is a legal contract. Abram, take your only son, the son of promise. Take him whom you love and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. Now, why would a loving God who's so compassionate, tell Abraham, his man in the earth, to offer his only son. Keep reading. So, Abraham by this point has grown up in God. He believed God. And so, he didn't argue. He said, okay, let's go. Like, well, what in the world did Abraham believe to not even put up an argument or a fuss? Well, Hebrews 11:17 said, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and that he received the promises offered of his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac your seed shall be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead, from whence also he received in the figure. Now, from what we know, this far in the biblical narrative, no one's been raised from the dead. But in Abraham's mind, well, God can raise him up. Because God told me that through Isaac, all the world will be blessed. Through Isaac will become a great nation. Through Isaac, stars in the heaven, sand as the seashore. So for that to happen, if I have to offer Isaac, God has to raise him up. Remember, this is a dispensation of promise. It's about Abraham. What will you believe? And so how do you know Abraham believed besides Hebrews? When you look at, you keep reading through chapter 22. He tells the guys who go with him, Has y'all stay here? Me and Isaac are going up there, and we're coming back again. But God just told you to offer up Isaac. They don't know what God said. Abraham knew, but Abraham's faith was, We both coming back down. First words of faith. As they're walking up the mountain, Isaac has been through many sacrifices before. Some commentator says he's between the age of 13 and 40 at this point. He's been through several sacrifices, he knows it, so he's walking along saying, Hey, dad like, what's on? We're missing something. See the knife, see the rope, see the torch. Where is the sacrifice? Second words of faith. My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. So you get to verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hands and took the knife to slay his son. Stop right there. Isaac is between the ages of 13 and 40. He could have fought off his old man. Abraham at this point is over 100. I'm sure Isaac had a good fighting chance. (laughs) But notice here, Abraham was willing to offer his only son, and Isaac was willing to be offered. In this covenant between Abraham and Isaac and God, there's a father willing to offer his only son whom he loves, and there's a son who's willing to offer himself. And as Abraham lifts up the knife to slay his only son he loves, the angel of God says, hey, don't touch him. I know you fear God. There is a ram in the bush for you. And Abraham named that place Jehovah-Jireh. See, Jehovah-Jireh is the name of God, but there's times in the Bible you see they name places where God showed up and proved himself. So some of you have some circumstances in your life you need to rename. Says, Oh, this is my area of lack. No, this is my area of Jehovah-Jireh because God's going to show up and prove himself in this area for me. So, but back to this verse. God reiterates his promise in your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But notice, Abraham told Isaac in his second words of faith in Genesis 22 that God would provide himself a lamb. But God gave Abraham a ram. But that's still what Abraham said did come to pass. Because John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him and says, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. God provided himself a lamb. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Before you keep reading, he gave his only begotten son because Abraham offered up his only begotten son. This is covenant talk. God could legally get Jesus into the earth now because he had a man that was willing to give up his son. And whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So notice salvation is not about works. It's about belief. It stems from the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, is not about what you do. It's about what will you believe. Today, it's not about what you do. It's what will you believe. Go to Galatians 3. Let me wrap this up real quick. I know y'all want to shout after all this teaching. Go to Galatians 3. (laughs) Galatians 3 verse 8. And the scripture foreseen that God will justify the heathen, all the nations through faith. He preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Well, what's the gospel? Good news. Well, what is the good news? In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. The gospel is the blessing of God. What God told Adam, be blessed. What he told Noah, be blessed. What he told Abraham, be blessed. God took, went all the way through so it can show up to you so he can look at you and say, Be blessed. The gospel, the good news, is the blessing of God. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us, brought us back, rescued us from the curse of the law. We'll look more at that the next time. Be made a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone that hangs on a tree. Why? One of the reasons Jesus went to the cross. Why? That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. So not just through the people who came after Abraham's physical line, but anybody who would be willing to believe like Abraham can get blessed just like Abraham. And they can receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 29, and if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What is the promise? In these shall all nations of the earth be blessed. You are heir to the promise of the blessing based off of what you believe. Not because you did everything right. Not because you got it all right. Because remember, all your mistakes, God already planned how to fix them before the world began. So God already took what was needed. So not only don't you have to fix your life by yourself, God has provided the answer, and he's provided the empowerment to prosper, which is the blessing to cause what you need to come to pass in this earth. It's all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's God's will to bless you. God is determined to bless you. It talks about the word mercy in the Old Testament, the word has said. One of the definitions, it's a covenant determination of God to bless you. God is determined to bless you. Why? He loves you. And all these covenants, He's cutting through the earth. And so man can have a relationship. So man can be blessed once again. So pastor, I thought the gospel was Jesus dying for our sins. Yes, it is. That's the blessing. Because Acts 3.26, unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. And turning away every one of you from his iniquities. The blessing begins by turning you away from your sin. And continues to bless you in an ever-increasing measure. The greatest story ever told follows the scarlet thread and God's great desire to bless all humankind. The blessing doesn't come on us because we did what was right. It's because we believe what's right. Because Jesus did what was right, and we chose to believe. What will you believe? Will you believe that your own works are enough to get you blessed? Or will you believe that Jesus, through his work on the cross, did a good enough job so that you can be blessed? Will you trust in his ability or your ability? Will you be like those at Babel struggling on their own to build things that they say is never enough? Or will you get into the one who is more than enough and access what belongs to you because you have a covenant with God? As we'll keep going through this series, Jesus came to cut a new covenant that's not based on man's obedience. But it's based on his obedience. And see, the covenant I'm getting ahead of myself with the covenant, the new covenant that Jesus came to cut, is between him and the Father, not even you. You're the benefactors of the covenant. But God and Jesus cut a covenant between themselves. It's not going to matter anymore what man does. What they do is not going to determine if they're going to heaven or hell. All they have to do is believe. I'll take the hard part. I'll do the hard work. I'll be the lamb. I'll take their place. All the sins of the world. So you can't say people go to hell for drinking. People go to hell for smoking weed. People go to hell for sexual immorality. People go to hell for abortions. People go to hell for all these reasons. No, they don't. 1 John says Jesus was the Lamb of God who was a propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He paid for every single sin. So people can't say, well, God sent that person to hell. God does not send anybody to hell, but people send themselves all the time. God is not sending them. People send themselves. We'll say, Pastor, then what sin takes people to hell? Not believing on Jesus. That's the only thing. People who refuse to believe on him go to hell. And not making a decision from. him is the same as refusing to believe. And see, even for a lot of you who are Christians in here, you believed on Jesus, you're going to heaven. But how much you believe on him and his work that's already finished determines what's manifest on your life now. Whether you just believe you'll get the blessing when you get to heaven, or heaven will hit your life now on the earth. Stand to your feet. I'm out of time. So this is part one, the foundation. We'll get into more as we get into the series. Thanks for watching the Faith Broadcast today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We'd love to hear from you. So if you're watching us, you can follow us on social media. Our social media handles on Twitter and Instagram is at WeAreFaithATL. You can also go to our website at FCCJ.com. Follow us on social media. Follow us on our YouTube channel. Contact us online. We'd love to hear from you. Have a wonderful day.